0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 191, all about Chris, recorded May 3rd, 2015, and brought to you by Element Opie Productions, elementopie.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the sultan of the soapbox cockerel, as Seth is on his vacation, joining us this week is the great Chris the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, Chris. How are you?
1: i'm chris the Gooey Kid anderson oh wait wow
0: chris chris you know your name chris the commander godfather neves see my brain just went i had a stroke right here on the air (laughs) i didn't even notice that amazing hi chris wow godfather
1: neves (laughs) that was probably the most that was the that was i was impressed i was like wow so i'm now seth and me (laughs) Well, yeah, that's right. You're
0: you're doing double duty tonight. Um, that's what happens when when I don't have a script to read. Uh, yeah, things just go nice. I
1: suppose <laughs> I'm doing fine, Mark. Uh, I'm having fun with my fountain pens. I haven't moved, graduated back up to my uh, my calligraphy pens yet. But man, I can't believe how cheap these little cartridges are for ink for my fountain pens. I mean, I got like. 20 of them for $2, so um, okay. I don't know if I'll go back That's to a lovely. regular pen.
0: <laughs> I, I Just yesterday, I, or now, right now, I'm wearing, hold it up here for people to see it, a, a steel watch band. For the Ooh. first time since I wore my grandfather's watches when I was a kid, you know, um, I've always had, like, the, I rocked the Timex Iron Man forever. Um, right. And and then I got this this Moto 360. It came with a leather band because the steel band wasn't out yet when I bought it. And and they've I'm sure it's by design. They've engineered this where that most most bands don't fit it. Uh, there's a very narrow opening um, where it fits in there, and and most bands tend to be thicker and don't go in there. So uh, a company called Steel Connect. It was a Kickstarter project. Uh, uh, made this little adapter i'm not going to be able to show it very well on the screen but it's an adapter that goes into the the watch um and then makes it where any standard watch band will work and the adapter looks pretty cool um, yeah so uh it, the company, i would have never
1: guessed yeah. if you would have said it that it was an adapter i would have never guessed it it looks like it's part of the watch
0: yeah so S- steel connect the company is based out of uh the uk uh, but they uh, do their manufacturing out of Malaysia. So this was shipped to me out of Malaysia. It took literally a month to get here. Um, but Oh, so man. Uh, uh, and it's a little expensive for a couple of pieces of metal. It's, it's uh, $38, I think it was, for the adapters. But now I can put just any regular watch band on. So this is a, a relatively inexpensive band, and I think it looks nice. It elevates the watch to a professional. But I, I, I say all that to say that for the first time ever – I sat down on my laptop and started typing, and the, the steel band was scraping on the laptop. I've never had that experience because I've always had soft, pliable bands on every watch right. I've ever worn. And so now, after all that, a month of waiting and all that, I'm actually thinking I may not be able to wear this because I type all the time. And first, I can see it's going to scratch up my uh, laptop really badly, and second, it's not comfortable. Maybe I'll, I'll be able to get used to it, but it just seems like – I, you know, you, Unintended consequences.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I ran into the same problem when I started wearing my my activity band because I've I gave up wearing watches for a long time ago, um, just because of the fact that I'd be bounding off the keyboard all the time and making all that racket. So I quit wearing watches because I once I started in my profession. Um, so, but I put that band on and it's got a standard watch clasp, and uh, I'm, I'm sure people that are watching don't like or listening don't yeah. care, but. It's a standard watch class. And it makes a lot of racket if you're not paying attention to how you're typing. Yeah. So, so. I, I
0: just just at this moment I had that dis, this discovery and I, I was all excited. I, I waited a <laughs> month. I put it on yesterday for the first time. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, this looks nice, it's professional. It it really um makes it look like uh, you know, the the addition of a forty dollar band makes it look like a, a much more expensive watch but I'm going to have to take my watch off to type. And since I type like 70% of my days, uh, there may be a problem there.
1: Just a little bit. Possibly a problem with you and your laptop. Yeah. Maybe you need to get one of those uh, razors to lift your keyboard up at a funny angle so that way you're not hitting the, the keyboard. Yeah, well, we'll see.
0: At uh, at the desk, You know, with a regular, with a real keyboard, it might not be a problem. But on a laptop... You know, you've got that space there where the trackpad is, and there's yep. you know three or four inches, and that's where your wrists rest. And so that's that's what I'm hitting, and it's going to scratch it up, and it's making noise, and it's uncomfortable because there's this pressure. So I, I'll, I'll get used to it. First world problems. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wham! My four hundred dollar watch is not comfortable. Wham! <laughs>
1: watch man. it's still too expensive for it's me. actually
0: not it was uh I think 250 and then That's still too expensive the adapters makes it 300 and the band was another forty so 350
1: yeah my uh my polar loop was 80 bucks so
0: yeah and like I said when I bought it prior to that my 50 dollar iron man watch had la- uh had lasted me a decade so
1: mm-hmm. um, you just had to replace the battery.
0: Right, like once in that time, because the batteries last five years. Yep. This the batteries last fifteen to twenty hours. So anyway, um, but you can recharge it. Yeah. And the the Apple Watch um, is running about a hundred dollars more than this, and and people were referring to that as you know the the rich person's watch. Uh, maybe there's some sort of psychological thing there when you get over three hundred for a watch, people just balk at it. But and I'm sure Apple didn't choose that. Arbitrarily, I'm sure you've seen the teardown articles where it says that it costs them about eighty-seven dollars to make a watch, and I've seen several articles trying to make some hay out of that. It's like, you know, this only costs eighty-seven dollars, and they're ser- uh, selling it for anywhere between three fifty and ten thousand. <laughs> and I mean, what, wouldn't you, if you could yeah. sell for three fifty, would it cost you ninety dollars to make? Wouldn't you?
1: Of that, course, that's called it's called business. It's capitalism huh. until someone comes up with something better. Come on, Android. We need something better. <laughs> of course, I, would, I thought. You know, again, I, would, I
0: haven't. I haven't used the iWatch, um, and I know it's it's nascent. Right, they're still not there. But I would posit that at this point, the Moto 360 is a better device.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's all, but they're all first gens. So, in in two years, it'll be a whole different story.
0: Yeah, I, point taken. They're early, but they're not first gens. Smartwatches have been around. Um, even pre Pebble, but if you wanted to go into the modern smartwatch, the Pebble would be considered first gen. So okay. the, these are at least second, maybe third. I mean, uh, technically, you could go all the way back to the the calculator watch I had as right. a, as, a, as a fifth grader.
1: Right. Uh, um, oh, yeah. So, if you wanted to go that way, yeah, I, I will bow to that. But I still think these are the the, the type of watch that they are. Yeah. I would say they are first gen watches. Yeah. They're
0: they're so. early, definitely. Uh, I, I accept that. Uh, but I'm just not sure. People keep saying first gen. It's yeah, it's the first gen watch that Motorola's made, or the first gen watch that Apple's made. So okay, and the uh, the new anyway. I don't want to turn this into Smartwatch Central. But one of the things that amaze <laughs> me is you know, you know you can you can swap out watch faces. That's one of the big right. things. Apple only lets you have theirs, and there's like ten or twelve. And on Android, there's literally hundreds of thousands of them. And I'm in, I subscribe to a couple of groups on Google uh, Plus communities. Of, of watch bands, and I'm amazed at how many people take a you know a digital fully digital interface uh, with uh, you know several hundred pixels per inch uh, um, density where you can where you can have pretty much any image they want and they make a an analog watch face on it I don't understand what well, if you want an analog watch you can get one a lot cheaper um, it just a little like more expensive the, it's like eighty eighty percent that's my number. Uh, but the, my impression is that 80% of the watch faces I see are rip-offs of, you know, Tag hour or Rolex or Citizen uh, analog watch face. I don't like right. and I don't want to do math when I look at my watch. I want to see numbers, 2 and 3 2, and I know it's 232. <laughs> I don't want to look at it and go, well, this hand is sort of off of the 6, and so it's maybe about 232, 233. No. I don't want that. Um, why would you pay for a, a computer on your wrist and put an imprecise analog dial on it? I don't get it. But apparently, I'm the only one that doesn't get it because it's the most common thing.
1: Yeah, I don't understand it either. If you're going to have a digital watch, you might as well have a digital face. Right. Uh, I but- mean, the
0: iWatch, the the Mickey one, is the one they show in their commercials, and again, it's hands. Right? I don't want yep. hands on a digital on a, on a smartwatch.
1: That's just dumb. It's silly, but. Yeah, people. It's the norm. Everyone is used to seeing a clock face on your wrist, so they're going to put the norm for everyone to see.
0: And I've seen lots of recreations of. I even have one on my on my watch, a recreation of a Casio digital watch. And it's 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 nice for uh, nostalgia. But why would I want that? The whole point yeah. of buying this was to step out of. You know why? Why would I want to reproduce the Timex Ironman that I had for so many years? when I could still have that one. It's still upstairs. I can go put it on if I want that. Uh, <laughs> I just don't understand. Yeah.
1: Well, again, I, I don't wear a watch, so I couldn't yeah. tell you.
0: So many things <laughs> in life I don't understand. Just add that to volume 357.
1: Yeah. Um, no, I think, I think I'm think i right behind you around 250-some, <laughs> right after women. <laughs>
0: Uh, so uh, as we have uh, said before, that since Chris, uh, Seth isn't here, and we knew he wasn't going to be here, it, it occurred to to me that I've we've done 191 shows with these guys. Uh, well, Seth came in after, but so with Chris has been here from the beginning, uh, and we've never actually talked about Chris. We you know things have leaked out during this this section of the show that we call the warm up uh, section. So this show is an interview about Chris, and we're going to find out interesting stuff about him, including the fact that he's dumping Linux on
1: his laptop? What? Uh, there, there's a chance. Um, with the, the new... For, for those that don't know, I changed my job after 10 years of being education. I'm now uh, in a larger corporation, and I don't do the same job I used to. So I've been toying with the idea of in my free time to do other things that don't need such horsepower on my laptop. You know, because I, I don't need to virtualize anything on my laptop unless I'm testing something for you guys. So I thought, well, maybe I, my, my old laptop, which if you look in the YouTube, you can see it behind me running um, LXDM or something. I don't know what it's currently at, but um, I don't need that big of a machine anymore. And matter of fact, I want something lighter, a little more portable. And when I want to fire it up, I don't want to have to deal with anything. So I've been... Toying around with the idea of possibly going with a Chromebook Pixel. Um, it just kind of makes sense with everything in my life being in Google except for my new job stuff. Why not? Give it a shot. Um, the only thing that's holding me back is damn, they're expensive. expensive. They're expensive machines. A grand, a grand and higher. So, it's taking a little bit for me to pull the trigger because I don't want to spend a grand. I'd like to at least play games on it or something.
0: Right. And my my, so. my understanding of that device is that it is a premium device worthy. The hardware is worthy of the price tag. Yeah. But again, you've spent that kind of money on something that is so limited. Um, but as I've said many times before, most of what people do is in the cloud. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're interfac- interfacing with Google Docs and Facebook and and you know the web in general. Uh, and yeah, so I get it. I see why it's a, a thing. But if you're giving up functionality, shouldn't you get reap the reward of price?
1: Right. That's why I'm and I was I'm torn because if you look at some of the other Chromebooks, the price tag is so much lower. Right. But but if you look at the reviews, you know when when they compare apples to apples, the reviews are pretty bad so you know I'm, I'm one of those type of people that i'm gonna buy the best device that i can possibly get for the money that i'm willing to spend um and i usually put a laptop at a thousand dollars because that's i want it to last the four to six years and not you know burn up or fall apart or because i've i've bought the 400 hundred dollar laptop and i'm just too hard on them You can
0: can either buy four $400 laptops or one $1,500 laptop. It's You spend the same amount of money over five or six years, uh, but you don't have the pain of moving in five times.
1: Exactly. So I'm kind of on the fence. I don't know which way to go, and my gut says that I will miss the virtualizing part of it. But if I miss it that much, I can always go to Amazon and virtualize it in Amazon's S3 systems. So, am I really losing anything?
0: Uh, But again, you're paying a premium for that.
1: Why? But there's, I mean, there's other virtualized hosts on the internet that you could go with too. Amazon was just the first one, right? So, you know, I'm not sure yet. I haven't decided one way or the other. I don't know. Talk me off the ledge, people. Tell me what. Tell me I'm. Totally wrong, and I should stay with my gaming grade Linux machines.
0: And my my <laughs> advice would be check the return policy. You know, if oh, you yeah. bang on it for thirty days, or uh, even better yet, ninety days, you should go, just go ahead and do it. I mean, if you got the grand, um, yeah. But uh, otherwise, I, I would really be concerned about getting stuck with an expensive boat anchor. Because if yeah. if you've got it off to the side, running a chat window, and you're doing your real work on your old laptop. You know, you haven't gained
1: anything. Exactly. That's, uh, And I'm afraid of that. So that's why I haven't just pulled the trigger yet and, and wrote the big check. So I'm torn, and, and it's a giant, horrible, horrible torn thing. <laughs> the other thing that I'm going to miss is uh, there's not much – I don't think there's any devices you could plug into them. I think they're pretty stock with just the USB Type-C connector now. I think you get one on each side, and that's about all that's there.
0: I hadn't thought about that.
1: Yeah, so no USB keyboards, no Bluetooth. I don't even know if there's Bluetooth on it.
0: I'm pretty sure there's Bluetooth. But I, then again, it could be just because I made that up right now.
1: Yeah, uh, it could be. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it, it's an interesting thought when you put when you look at it, you know, because if I'm doing anything, you know, like through my phone, it's all in Google's cloud and none of it's yeah. local. Yeah. Um, and the stuff I've been playing with with the idea of you know maybe doing a writing a story or um, I've got all these things that I want to talk about later right. <laughs> that are running around in my head, and I'd like to get them out of my head and so I can actually de- you know work with them right. um, I don't know
0: I, I want this to say is not the
1: universal interface <laughs> the, yes, the phone
0: is still not. Uh, I, I wanted to say that I took my wife yesterday, and we went to see The Avengers, uh, yeah? Age of Ultron, opening weekend. Now, um, I have to preface this by saying that the, the first Avengers movie, one of my favorite movies of all time, on my top ten list. I watch it once a month at least, um, because I, I think that it's... High, but- um, well, it's just for me. It checks all the boxes. Um, it's it's really. I mean, the the cinematography is outstanding. The music is good. The sound editing is is some of the best ever. Uh, the the story is really immersive, uh, and you get you you get this plot development as they uh, reveal things, and and plus there's balls out action, and so it's all it's it's got all of that, and that's why I like it so much. Uh, um, Age of Ultron is 40 to 45 minutes of story stretched across a two-hour and 20-minute movie. But there's so much action, I didn't care. So as a movie, it's like 6 out of 10. As a fun adventure, it's 8.5 to 9 out of 10. So um, literally the first frame of the movie starts in in an action scene. And that sets the tone, and there's, it's way more epic battles. I mean, in, in the, uh, it's kind of formulaic now, the action scene. You've got, you've got your um, introductory, uh, fast sort of thing, then a major battle scene in Act 1, then some story elements, then a major battle scene in Act 2, then the final story elements culminating in a final battle scene. And that, that's every action movie. I just described every action movie made since 2005.
1: And every uh, book since 2002, right.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and at some point in every movie you're going to hear wow, junk, junk. Um, that's the the universal music track to every action movie. I don't know why, uh, <laughs> but so Age of Ultron has that the three classic battle scenes, but there's like 16 more men, smaller battle scenes mixed into it. Uh, huh. uh, James Spader is Ultron is really good it's just his voice right so he could throw himself into it and it's it's creepy and dark and it just makes you shiver at some points just how disturbed he is um Hmm. um, i i haven't seen it but i hear people love his performance on on blacklist and it's like take that twisted character and put him inside a giant seven foot destructive robot um and it makes it it makes for some creepiness
1: um i would definitely agree with the creepiness yeah I haven't seen it yet. I was supposed to see it last night uh, or Friday night, but we ended up staying in Glendive, so we didn't get to go to the opening day at the Super D or whatever it is at the in the big thing in Billings. But uh, I was a little sad that I didn't get to go to see it with my brother because we've gone to pretty much every other action mov- or Marvel movie in the last couple of years together, so...
0: So oh, I was wow. super excited that I found a theater that was showing it in IMAX, not 3D. I don't like 3D, particularly Rotoscope 3D, which is done after the fact. They shoot the film in t- the 2D, and then they come back in digitally. And that that is the worst example yep. of trickery ever, and I hate it. Uh, and almost all the Marvel movies have been done like that. So I was really mm-hmm. excited that this thing just said IMAX. It was great, and I paid the IMAX premium. It was seventeen dollars a ticket something like that it was ridiculous but it was worth it yeah i walk in the door and hand the guy my ticket and he hands me a pair of 3d glasses i was oh crap really i was actually mad that i got 3d (laughs) so i had to sit through the movie in 3d i got a headache um it's not the worst 3d it's not captain america 3d the first captain america movie i hold up is one of the worst examples of rotoscope 3d ever it's just terrible uh, yeah. No, things in real space don't look like that, um, and they they they. I just thought it was r- ridiculous, and it ruined the movie for me. In fact, I consider that one of the worst Marvel movies ever because I saw it in 3D, and it ruined it for hmm. me. Again, that's just me being an old man. Get off my lawn. Um, <laughs> but you have this beautiful digital 4K IMAX screen that's capable of rendering uh, super b- better than life images. Really right. crisp, high definition, and then you do the, the, the rotoscoping 3D trick and everything is now jittery because every frame of film jitters in a 3D mm-hmm. environment just because of the way they're doing. They're tricking your eyes into doing it. And so you've, you've totally ruined this cr- pristine, crystal clear experience for me. Um, so I was I was bitter about that. <laughs> but I do have to say that, uh, you know, overall, it was a good movie. Uh, one of my complaints, and I thought Joss Whedon did such a good job uh, in the first one um, of in, in every action scene, you never get confused, right? When you see the Hulk and Thor on the flying thing, uh, and they're fighting, and they're punching and, and, and Hulk slams the thing in and Thor hammers it. You see, you know, who's doing what at every piece of the even if you only see them for a couple of seconds. That was not the case in this one. Of course, they expanded the universe, so they had um, you know all the characters that they brought in almost so far. Um, so you had uh, a, a War Machine and Tony Stark, uh, Iron Man, and you had the Hulk, and you had uh, um, I can't remember the guy's Lord. name who flies from Captain America,
1: oh, Captain uh, or Winter, that's uh, Winter
0: Soldier. Um, but oh, you had Falcon. Okay, so you had everybody. Uh, fighting at and, and you know uh Maria hill and um, um guy with the eye patch Nick fury, so everybody 's in at at some point in some of these massive epic battle scenes, so I understand that it 's part of it is just the way they 've written it, but also you 're seeing like a half a second here and a half a second there, and you just get confused who just hit what i 'm not sure well there was a fist that went into her face there was that a good guy or a bad guy i'm i don't know (laughs) was that quicksilver flashing through there or was that uh captain america's uh uh, shield i I couldn't quite tell it was so fast and they were both kind of blue and red i don't so yeah huh so it's got flaws but overall still very enjoyable
1: cool i will definitely look forward to going to it when uh when it comes to my little town. <laughs> so
0: I'm, I'm interested to hear what the audience has to say about my review. It wasn't glowing, right? And if you say anything isn't perfect in the Marvel Universe, you're going to hear about it. Uh, but, you know, watch it. Give me an honest review of it and tell me what,
1: what you think. See, I'll have to watch it twice then because the first time I go in completely blind, deaf, and stupid, you know, because I want to just experience it. I don't want to put right. any of the fanboyism in it. And then the second or third time I watch it, that's when I start tearing things apart. So, yeah.
0: I I can't I can't distinguish both of those things. I'm watching everything again. I've, I've mentioned it so many times. I am a film buff. The art of yeah. filmmaking uh, is something I'm interested in. So I can't dist- distance myself. And sometimes, like when when you're watching uh, G.I. Joe: Rise of Cobra, I I can turn the logic centers of my brain off and enjoy that film uh, because there was no logic in it. So, but the thing about Age of Ultron is there are t- times where they force you to re-engage the logic centers because there's this this really important plot point. They go, oh wait, I got to pay attention to this, and then they introduce something that's completely Ill- illogical, and so it's kind of a one two punch. Yeah, um, but that I will say this: um, the scene that you've seen in the, the the trailers where they're all trying to pick up Thor's hammer, um, you've seen that one, right? Yeah they're all in and they they try a warhammer and a war machine and and iron man are both using their rocket gloves and nobody can do it and cap touches it and it wiggles a little and that whole bit that that's funny but later on it becomes a major plot point and i totally wasn't expecting that
1: really okay yeah.
0: so minor spoiler there
1: i wouldn't call it a spoiler i'd say it's a pay attention it's a, attention. It's it's a st- pay attention spot yeah yeah
0: cuz there there's a there's a moment at the moment where that happens I'm I'm seeing it with you know 600 other people in this giant IMAX theater. There was an audible gasp from the room. We all went. <gasps>
1: it was really. It was
0: one of those cool moments.
1: That's that should be a good point then. <laughs> so I will attention. have to pay attention.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. That's it. That's all I got. Uh, let's move on to our listener feedback. Uh, Dalton writes in with a couple of different things. He asks the question, does a single laptop user need a Boris box? I think we've addressed this issue before. Uh, need? I don't know. Uh, it, uh, do you want to play with one? Uh, I don't think anybody really needs a Boris box. Um, there's, there's good off-the-shelf routers you can buy. Um, I would say... Anybody who needs to do a single user could probably get by with just the dumbest thing shrink wrapped on the shelf at the electronic store. Because uh, you're not going to be interested in patch, uh, packet sniffing, you're not gonna, uh, traffic shaping, you're not going to be interested in any of that sort of stuff. You just want something to, to keep the bad guys on one side and the good guys on the other. Um, and so they're fine. But if you get more than you know, like I've commented in this house before, there's there's over a dozen internet-connected devices in my home and, you know, five different people trying to use them, I need something with some more advanced uh, stuff. It doesn't have to be a Boris box. In fact, mine isn't. It's an off-the-shelf one, but it's one of the more expensive off-the-shelf ones. So, you know, one single laptop user, you probably don't need it, but if you want to play with it, it's there and it doesn't cost much.
1: I would go with that to a certain extent. It depends on what your usage is. I mean, if you're a user... Um, I know a couple of single guys that have um, you know, 12 different devices in their house all using the same Internet at the same time. So it depends on what type of user you are. If you are a single laptop and that is it, no smart TV, uh, you're not using Internet on your phone, and you're not torrenting, and you're just consuming it on one device at one time, then you probably don't need a Boris box. But if you're using five or six devices at the same time, uh, you're streaming in one room and you're downloading another and blah, blah, blah. I would get one just for the simple fact of uh being able to move the packets a little bit quicker with a Boris box. Yeah.
0: That's something a lot of people don't think about is is you may not be using the Internet, but there are things in your house that are. You know, if you've got, a, like Chris said, a smart TV, a Roku, a, a media center, if you've got any of that stuff, even if you don't think of yourself as using the Internet, there's probably stuff in your house that is.
1: Yep. Or even um, some of the newer um, security systems use the internet. Right when you're, you know, their their traffic is is marked low end, so it, it's not, you know, your QoS doesn't kill everything else for it. But yeah, I would I would say look at your usage and go from there.
0: All right, to con- continue on with his email, he says I tried Corora and it worked great at first on my laptop. I was even even able to play my favorite online game, RuneScape, but then I upgraded it and it couldn't find my internet connection. So that's a case of upgrading breaking stuff. It does happen.
1: Yep. Uh, I would say that that sounds like a kernel and Wi-Fi driver. Yeah. You had that so, problem, right? Right? You yeah.
0: updated uh, but it wasn't with Coro, it was with Manjaro, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was with Manjaro where I lost and what I ended up having I, I had to actually it wasn't even that hard of a fix um for for that particular instance. I had to um plug in on the hard line and do another update because another package was awaiting me that had the fix already. So it might just be that you need to update again. So if you can plug it into a hard line, you might get lucky.
0: Yeah. Um, and then he um, ends this letter saying keep up the good work. So thanks, Dalton. We appreciate that. Yeah, we'll uh, Rick uh, writes in to say that I'm like a broken watch. I'm right twice a day. Uh mark Ooh. your calendars because I'm going to say that Mark is right not once but twice. First of all, Daredevil is a must see and Vincent D'Onofrio has been outstanding as the Kingpin. He really gives a sense of that barely restrained strength and rage that makes him really creepy. So Chris, I have to ask you, have you watched any Daredevil?
1: No, I haven't. I've been I've been actually not even watching anything on the TV. I've been too busy with kids and softball and Okay. Everything I, else.
0: We cannot do a podcast next week if you haven't seen at least the first episode. I refuse to speak to you again <laughs> until you see at least the first episode of Daredevil.
1: Okay, I will try. It'd be better if I could cache it, if I could, you know, temporarily store it on my tablet so I don't have to deal with the, uh, the Wi-Fi at my uh, at the hotel that I'll be staying at this week. So, yeah.
0: there There, there is that. And, of course, that's exactly what uh, Netflix doesn't want you to do.
1: Um, Well, even if I could cash it in the app, you know, if it'd be something where I could say, Netflix, I want to watch this, but I can't watch it at the place I'm going because it's there's crap, you know, let me cash it in the app, I'd be okay with it.
0: All right, now I'm continuing on with uh, Rick's uh, uh, email. He says, secondly, regarding charging for mods. Like Mark, I'm an old school capitalist, and I think if you want to charge for something you create, you should be able to. Then it's up to the creator to convince people that it's worth paying for. If it is, why should the fact that it was created by modding an existing game be a factor? Now, this may may lead to game creators uh, requiring modders to pay a licensing fee to extend the game, but that, too, will be subject to market forces. Thanks for your great work on the show.
1: See? I think that's a, a universal statement there for charging for mods. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, our next listener who didn't say his name uh, left a voicemail, and uh, he disagrees with that Ooh. statement. So uh, we'll play that and see what the anonymous uh, listener has to say.
2: Hey, guys. I'll try to make this quick, but I've got a couple things I wanted to say. Uh, first topic is Ready Player One. Chris, we've heard your opinion on it. Mark, I'd like to ask you yours. Uh, my own personal opinion is that it was only really only half okay. I felt the 80s trivia was a little over the top, and I really felt that, um, well, I, I felt about the same that most people do about the only 90s kids will remember the shenanigans. Other than that, I did feel it was a good book. I just didn't feel it was worth the attention or hype that it got. That's all on that topic. The second is a doozy, uh, Stephen Moss. I was personally against paid mods for several reasons. The first being that when buying mods on Steam, the modders only got twenty for twenty-five uh, percent of the profit. Uh, Steam took twenty-five, the developers took the rest. Um, at least for uh, the Skyrim mods. Not only that, some or somebody could already donate to Nexus mods, to which the modder would get a hundred percent of that donation. Now. Uh, Gabe Newell said that there should have been a slider that could be set to zero. So if you didn't want to pay for a mod, you didn't have to. But what if you set it to zero? Find out that the mod you got was a good mod, and want to give the modder money. You either have to find it on Nexus Mods, which you probably can't because the modder took it off, or uh, delete the mod on Steam, uh, go and rebuy the mod to which the modder would only get the said 25%. There are more reasons to be against paid mods, but I only really had time to bring these two uh, reasons up. Really? I was hoping that you guys were going to be against paid mods because you're Linux guys. I mean, I felt that mods were a lot like the GNU slash open source community. That's not to say I'm against making money. I'm not Richard Stallman. But the base distribution should be free, at least in my opinion. Uh, That's really all I had to say, so... Um, there's only one thing left to say: Stay classy, San Diego. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, so let's take those in reverse order, um, and let's talk about first the uh, the modding, and then we'll I'll give my review of Ready Player One. Um, sure. So you he referred to uh, an anonymous. Um, we'll, we'll call him Ron uh, since he signed off with Ron Burgundy's sign off. Ron uh said that he didn't like the fact that in the per- Skyrim in particular the modder got 25%, Steam got 25% and the developers got 50%. Uh personally I'm I'm fine with that. The the modder wouldn't be able to do his modding if the developers hadn't done their developing and Steam hadn't done their distributing. So uh, you know if that's the 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 split they set up fine you either make the mod or you don't. You take the money or you don't. I don't that doesn't bother me in the least. And there's also, I don't see any reason why the the developer, the modder couldn't put a PayPal website up and say, Hey, if you want to give me more money, do that outside that maybe there's something in the licensing gr- agreement for modding that says you can't do that, but I would doubt it. Um, that's my thought on that. Chris, wh- what do you think there?
1: You know, the, the, the thing that I would go with is I've had some really bad mods that actually broke my machine. So I would hope Well, I don't really know in this case, but I would hope that these mods are at least being tested before they're being released over Steam to make sure they're not damaging to your computer or the game itself. So because Steam has to do some sort of vetting of of these mods, they need at least a little portion of whatever they're charging to make up for storage, distribution, and all that stuff. Now, the developers getting 50%, you know, that's, that's harder to take. Um, I missed that when I was reading the article about the developers taking 50%. Um, I think that's a little excessive. And I think the developers shouldn't take that much. They should take a portion, but I think the modder should get the 50%. And then Steam gets 25 for, for, you know, distribution and such. And then the developer of the original game gets the 25. I think that it would also help if Steam would take a lesson from, say, someone like uh, Indie Game, the Humble Indie Bundle guys, where they have sliders, so you can say, "Well, this is I want to give so much to these guys and so much to those guys." That would probably eliminate all of the issues when it comes to paying for mods, because you can also say, you know, this mod is suggested retailed at twenty five dollars, but you can, the minimum you can get away with is. $5 Five dollars, or something like that.
0: Uh, and you know, okay, we—I I think fifty percent is fine. Frankly, because again, you're modding on something that that uh, whoever the Skyrim people are—I don't know who developed that game—spent years and millions making. So right. If if they want to take fifty percent of it, that doesn't bother me in the least.
1: Well, um, that's why that's why I'm thinking they should get. I mean, I don't say they don't get anything, but I think the modder who spent however much time building that particular mod should get the lion's share of the of the money, is my opinion.
0: Well, okay, and I accept that, but my point is that he spent his time rearranging content that somebody else had already made. He's not generating new content.
1: Well, no, sometimes those mods can be generating new content. You can import, you know, the, the, the wireframing may be already there. Okay, so he's importing
0: assets and textures. All right, I get that. Yeah. Uh, but so, on an engine, somebody else made. So uh, w- I, what I'm saying is the 50% doesn't bother me. I can see your point that it does bother you. But again, if you know those rules going in and you still decide to make the mod, then you've, you've decided to play by those rules. I, I did want to touch on the things. Uh, you, you decide not to pay for something. How do you pay for it later? The way I've done that in the past, very simply, um, if something is offered, if there's a no-pay option, and I take something um, and I like it, and there's, there, what I'll often do is go back and buy something else that I don't necessarily want to, yeah. you know, because now I'm contributing to that author's work. I understand that he's done something good. I, I'm not saying that's what everybody should do because now you're stuck with two things and only one you want, but that's the way I do it in particular is, is, uh, if the, if I choose to, to, to not pay for one thing, like say, a. uh, an Android app or whatever, there's a free version, uh, instead of going back in and maybe upgrading, I'll just buy a different app by that same developer.
2: Mm.
1: Okay. I would, um, I would go along the lines of if, if it doesn't ruin your game save, what's the problem of deleting right. the mod and De- going back in and rebuying it? Um, it, 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 it? As long as it doesn't hurt your game save, why not? Yeah,
0: Ron here is saying that he's willing to give him money but not time you know he didn't he wasn't not willing to spend the time to to delete and reinstall that that seems a little backwards
1: <laughs> um, everyone everyone has their line and people yeah. stand on it so um but as far as um, you know going back to the idea of of free software that he put up there you know that i've been long standing in this in our environment or our community saying that if you like something you should pay for it yes. because otherwise it may not be there ever again
0: yes paying for things is important people got to eat uh now going back to your first question uh what did i think of redder player one i can tell by your voice that you're younger than i am and so i can see why you didn't get the 80s stuff and why you'd think it was overdone but for a 40 something you know 45 years old guy um that book was a trip through my childhood yeah. And all of the, the random stuff that they talked about, there there was almost nothing in that game that I couldn't directly relate to. Like, for example, I never personally played Zork, but uh, only because I didn't have a computer that would play it back in the day. Um, but I knew guys who did, and so so I understood Zork, and I got that reference. Um, mm-hmm. So, the yes, I can see why somebody who was born in the post-year 2000... Uh, would think that it's overblown and 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 not worth it and and i would say for you it's probably not worth a read for you Um, and for somebody who's younger uh who's older rather and who was already 50 years old in the 80s um well they're probably close to dead now (laughs) but anyway uh it's maybe not for you that book was written by uh a gen xer for gen xers um and no, it wasn't overdone. It was perfect. In fact, I could have done with more. I loved the book. Um, <laughs> I laughed out loud. I rarely laugh out loud when reading books, but I, I laughed out loud a number of times. Um, one of my nightly rituals is as I'm brushing my teeth and doing my nightly routine, I, I have my audio book playing. So I routinely have my my phone up next to my ear while I'm brushing my teeth <laughs> as I'm, I'm doing And And so one night uh, I had the book, the phone on the nightstand playing as my wife was you know doing her thing and she walked in And like three different times just she had no context of the book didn't understand what was going on but there were like three different times in that one night where she laughed out loud too because you have to be of that age um mm-hmm. love the book um wouldn't read a, a sequel i don't think because i don't know where you could go with that uh but yeah it wasn't too much if you're of that yeah. right
1: age i i still think it's funny and my son read it just recently because he needed a book and I'm like here read this and he uh he's a kind of he's reliving the 80s that or I'm reliving the 80s and forcing him through some of it because it's just good knowledge for him to have like role playing D&D uh yeah. most of the kids don't play D&D anymore so my son actually loves it and is wanting to play to host his own game but not in the newest system that AD and, that, uh, Dungeons and Dragons are running, but the old one that the, uh, that, what was that, the Tale of the Crypt or, oh, they, yeah, I, I can't know. remember it off the top of my head, but it, the, where he found the first thing, um, that I have that mod, or that story plot in my trunk of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons and after he read the book he was looking through the books to write a character and he went oh my god and just you haven't. He, yeah. he had a he had a small cardiac arrest or something in my room next to the the D&D yeah. thing so it was it was interesting to see the reaction of somebody who's being shown some of these older things like i actually downloaded zork and told him to try and play it
0: that's awesome
1: and because yeah. he was curious he didn't know what it was and i'm like all right well here you go yeah. And he played it for thirty minutes and went, "No, I, I can't do this, Dad." <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's interesting to look at to to be, you know, I'm at the the last end of the Gen X people. So some of the things I was too young for, but a lot of it I caught, and it was it was fun to see my son relive some of those events as a you know right as a 14-year-old. So so he writes about at one
0: point that it's a perfect reenactment, a uh, recreation of the family ties living room. And I, yep. I knew immediately what that looked like. Yep, I was able to draw too. that picture in my head because I had seen dozens of episodes take place in that living room. Uh, yep. So, and, you know, and when he's... Uh, uh, there are other things when he 's describing you know the movie war games. in fact, I went and put that in my Netflix queue because I wanted to see it again i I remembered loving it and and he made me want to watch it again so yeah you just got to be of the right age
1: um, or have someone usher you through remembering wow. that age yeah if you 're just a a raw user who or a raw person who 's never lived through it doesn 't have any idea about what that time period was like, the book isn 't for you. The book is for people of that time period.
0: I, I just quickly I want to comment. I'm reading right now uh, Kevin Mitnick's autobiography, um, uh, "Ghost in the Wires." Uh, I'm sure you've heard of Kevin Mitnick, the uh, one of the greatest f- phone freakers of his time. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't the Captain Crunch guy, but he was. He was um,
1: pretty close. Uh,
0: he was parallel. He was a peer of that guy, um, John. Anyway, I can't remember his name, Captain Crunch. Anyway, uh, Mitnick. Reading this book or listening to it, however you want to say it, consuming this book, this is his own words right written alongside a co-writer um he just comes off as a total jerk. I'm not liking him as as the book goes on, I find myself rooting for him to be arrested and thrown in prison. I'm yep. pretty sure that wasn't his intent as he was writing this um but i I, I know this guy I've never met mitnik, but i know his I know a thousand like him. Uh, in his voice and in his mannerisms and in the 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 things that he thinks are right and wrong uh, i can draw pictures of people just like him and i can put his words in their mouths and these were never people i liked and so as i'm reading through this book i'm i'm more than three quarters of the way through it now i just I, i'm thinking would the fbi please arrest this guy and send him to prison i know he did i know he spent a lot of time in prison uh so that the, through the history i know it's coming but instead of exonerating himself, which is what I think he's doing. No, he's making me want him to go to jail.
1: Yeah. So I'm I'm interested,
0: anybody who's read that book, did you have the same experience?
1: um, It's in my queue, so I'll be able to talk about it in probably two weeks when it comes through the queue for me.
0: And if you're not an Audible subscriber, com slash Audible, you get a free book, I get a few bucks. It's a win-win. Um. That's it. Okay, that's all our follow-up. So now uh, let me tell you a little bit about the Linux Academy uh, because they pay me to do that and <laughs> because I like their product. There's the two reasons that I do their show. So you've heard me talk about them. I don't feel that I need to to go forever, and Seth's not here to do a commercial after I do the commercial. Uh, so I'll just tell you the Linux Academy, their stated goal is to take you from being a, a, a Linux n- Intermediate user, uh, excuse me, uh, intermediate intermediate computer user, Linux novice, to uh, a system certifiable system administrator. Certifiable (laughs) doesn't sound right, Uh, but they do this by way of their step by step video courses but it's way more than just courses that's where it starts you watch a video but then that's that's not where they end you like some other services that out there where you where the video is it, the the beginning and the end it's just the beginning for them uh they've got the the courses the the study guides the the lab system which is just really super amazingly robust um where you can have up to four machines running simultaneously in amazon's lightning fast cloud service in a safe environment where you can test stuff where you can try to break stuff and not hurt anything you you don't have to log on to your boss's uh, server late at night after hours just to see what will happen. I've done that. You shouldn't. <laughs> I shouldn't have. Bad things happened. Uh, you don't have to do that with Linux Academy. They provide you with all the tools. Uh, you know, courses going, uh, expanding day by day. It's not just Linux. It's also Amazon. It's it's um, uh, stuff for developers. Go check them out, linuxacademy.com. It's, a, it's, it's really high quality stuff, independently certified by third parties as being high quality. And they've been preparing people for new careers in Linux uh, for a couple of years now successfully. And people are taking their courses, uh, being ready for the certifications, taking the test, getting certified, getting new jobs, starting new lives because of the Linux Academy. It's twenty five bucks a month. Is the most that you'll ever pay. If you want to pay for three bu- uh, three months up front, it's a, for a quarter. It's only sixty five dollars, so you get a discount there. If you want to buy a year up front, it's two hundred fifteen dollars for a year, which breaks down to less than eighteen dollars a month. What I always recommend: pay the twenty five dollars, a cup, uh, you know, a pizza or two. Um, log in, check it out, spend the month really kicking the tires. Right? Don't just look around and say ah, it wasn't worth twenty five dollars. Start to learn. Start to experience it. At the end of that month, you're going to realize you've extracted so much value for that, you're going to want to go ahead and buy a bigger chunk of it. I'm, you know, I, I can make that statement pretty confidently because so many people have. And uh, Also, if you go to linuxacademy.com slash everydaylinux, you get a special price break, uh, that a special deal that they've offered for us. So check them out, linuxacademy.com slash everydaylinux. And now, on to the real reason we're here. Our good friend Chris is going to tell Ooh. us, about about him, about you, and so I'll I'll say this, uh, Chris and I, I've mentioned it before. We've never shared the same air in a room. I've never, yep. uh, I've never met Chris face to face. I don't know what he actually looks like. I know what his <laughs> camera renders him to look like. I don't know how tall he is. I don't know But you wait, I don't know because I've only ever seen him from the waist up. I don't know if he ever wears pants. Uh, but I that was still a fun
1: skit for a while too.
0: <laughs> I still also consider him a friend because I've talked to him uh, for hundreds of hours now. But I realize there are things about him I don't know and that you as a listener don't know. So we're going to get to know Chris a little bit. So first I want to start with Chris, the early years. Uh, tell me sure. about, you know, uh, just give me the bullet on where you grew up, what, what your interests were as a child. Uh, you, you mentioned being in education for a while and now you're not. So tell us the story of Chris in brief up till now.
1: Okay, so I guess we can be fairly brief with, uh, you know, typical childhood Um uh let's see uh I'm the oldest of four, so there are three young three younger brothers, which uh I like to pick on as much as i s- still I still love to pick on them as much as I possibly can, um even though two of them tower over me um both weight and height, so the little big uh, brother, yeah, yeah, I have two well, one is a little big brother, and the other one is just a little brother who's a little bit bigger than me because <laughs> he spends a whole lot more time at the gym because he doesn't have kids. <laughs> but, uh, you know, grew up, you know, I, I was, uh, I always like to tell people when they ask me what, that, you know, the, the question, well, what type of person were you in school? Um, I was the person that was in everything um, or could sit in with everybody. So I didn't have a social circle. I was a band geek, a choir geek, a drama geek. Uh, I, I did sports for a while. I, I, did, I was that person that did a little bit of everything. Um, but all in all, I came down to computers. Um, college time was in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, went to DeVry, bombed out of DeVry because that's a whole lot of stuff they want you to learn in a very, very short amount of time. Um, met my wife So would you discourage,
0: would you discourage others from attempting to DeVry or is it just not for you?
1: Um, I would have been fine if I wouldn't have had to work and go to school. That was my biggest problem. Um, I ended up having to do their, I don't remember what their class load was. It's changed now. It's not so steep. Um, but it was, it ended up being between class time out in lab time and homework, that was about 12 hours total time. And then I had to put an, uh, as close to an eight-hour day in for work to pay for the apartment I was living in and, you know, food and then it just after a while the body needs sleep and uh, ran across my first case of insomnia that that time period where I, um you know seven days without sleep is dangerous I recommend don't doing that all right <laughs> uh, met my wife there we moved up here I'm now married to my lovely wife Julia who's not in the house so you know it's the truth and have two kids. <laughs>
2: All right. What else okay. do you want to
1: know that was pretty that was the hundred thousand foot view
0: so you you washed out of deVry uh, did you complete your education
1: no I did not I did not complete it um I am one of those guys who self taught everything um I've torn machines down i I was growing up I would tear computer stereos apart and look at the components and then try to put all the components back together and make something out of it um my mom would she still tells me that i uh, any time she sees me at the screwdriver she's actually worried that i'm gonna kill myself because I've been known to work on things with live power still in it done that um and I will definitely say one ten isn't bad two twenty kind of hurts four forty don't play with it it'll blow you out of your shoes
0: i uh <laughs> where where I worked for a while uh. A guy, due to bad design of a test rig and carelessness on his part, both those things came together. Got hit by .480, three mm-hmm. phase, um, and it. He was like two hundred and twenty five pounds, uh, mm-hmm. s- six foot two. It picked him up out of his chair and threw him across the room. Uh, yes. Stuff is not to be messed with.
1: Yeah, the when I got hit by four hundred and forty, I left my shoes on the ground. They they were I was you know tied into shoes like normal. Um, I was working on. Uh, at the time I was trying to change the pigtails out for a dryer and I thought I had the, or the outlet for a dryer. So it was 220, but I didn't know that the landlord had crossed his, the, the fuse box with the stove outlet. So even though I thought I had it turned off, I didn't. So I got 440, um, I was blown out of my shoes, thrown across the room, um, I didn't have hair on my arms for like a week because it 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 smoked the hair right off my arms. Um, I lost two, three teeth because of it. Um, it cooked the 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 centers out of my teeth. Wow. So yeah, 440 don't play with. Um, just say no. Yeah, just say no. Turn the breakers off. (laughs) Um, yeah, that's and I yeah I washed out it like I said I washed out a dry. Um, I've tried to go back a couple of times to to catch up on classes to see if I could do it online. Uh, just not conducive with little kids, so I never never had never made it back to get my degree.
0: So you got a job working for the local school district as their tech. Uh, worked your way up a little bit there. Stayed there for how many years?
1: I was there ten years. 10 years. Um, and the whole reason I got the job. <laughs> this is a good story. So. The the whole reason I got the job is um, I went to that school, you know, in high school. And that's the the person that was doing the interview was the high school principal. So I originally interviewed for a janitor position. And when I walked in, he goes, I have the computer position open too. Do you want me to put your name down for that? And I go, yeah. <laughs> I would much <laughs> rather be a computer guy than a janitor. Um, And so... He knew me from when, when I was, like I said, when I was in high school, and I actually got in trouble and had to sign a piece of paper saying that I will not hack the school's computer network or change grades for anyone, no matter what, even if I need to look up my grades The previous year when I was a, a s- junior in high school. So uh, he knew I knew my way around computers, and he was like, yeah, we'll just make you work for us and... Make sure all the little kids play nice.
0: Okay, so you worked at the school that you yep. graduated from.
1: Yeah, that was a okay. weird switch. Going so, have you
0: ever lived anywhere other than the small town?
1: Uh, well, I, I did live in Phoenix for the two years that I was down there. Um, <laughs> I've spent time in Australia. I've spent time, and then because of that time, the I think it was three months down there. Um, on the way back, I stopped over at a couple different places, but um. No, I really haven't lived anywhere but here. Okay. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a hometown boy that never left, so to speak, other than the school.
0: you somehow found out about the Tightwad Tech Podcast, became a regular listener there, became yep. a contributor there in the chat room and sending emails, and then one day I said, hey, why don't you do this Linux show? And that's how we met.
1: Well, actually, the the first thing you did, um, yes, but yeah, that was basically when I started listening to you is because of the fog the fog show that you guys did on fog because I was looking for a replacement for ghost and I had to find something and, and it had to be a, you know, like, like usual, it has to be a factor better and I had to be able to prove it. And so your podcast gave me the ammunition to prove it. And then because of it, we switched to it. And then three years later, we moved to even uh, the, uh, the Microsoft certified thing. But yeah, it, it was because of the fog broadcast. That's where where I found out about you guys, and then and then you in general. And then it, it was fun to because you guys were so so new at it. It was fun to see if I could get you guys to choke on <laughs> with the chat room, which you're it, still
0: doing on this show.
1: Uh, yeah, still, yeah. still, I, I still have fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I hadn't honed my skills of ignoring the chat room at that point. So you we brought you on for a listener feedback show, a mm-hmm. uh, listener spotlight show. Yep. Um yep. and then then that's how we that's how we met. So that was 2011, I think.
1: Something like that. Yeah.
0: So that's where where our paths crossed. And so from that point on, everything I ever learned about you was in the context of this show. Uh, so you yep. have mentioned uh, some of your things that you enjoy in the past, like D&D, like we just talked about that. Yep. Uh, I do know that you uh, do martial arts. Uh, so that's interesting. You're a geek who's physical. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Sure. Uh, tell me about your introduction into martial arts and, and what you've done with it. Now your whole family's in it, right?
1: Yeah. So the martial arts started early, like by high school, when I was in high school. Um, there was a, a a system opening up. It was Karaho Kempo Karate. Um, and I took that the entire time I was in high school. So four years. Um, the, f- it was kind of a weird system because you didn't progress through belt ranks or at least the way my instructor did belt ranks was not the normal way of doing belt ranking that I ended up finding out after the fact. Um, after four years, I was still considered a advanced white belt. So definitely, uh, something odd. Um, but that was that whole thing started because a girl I liked said, hey, let's go check out this martial arts thing that just opened up.
2: All right.
1: So it was kind of a a weird little coikening that that started me down this road of uh, martial arts.
0: It says here in the notes you did that for four years, so through high school, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah, through high school I did it. And then when I left for college, they didn't have a um, school in Phoenix, so I couldn't continue training down there. Uh, so I kind of fell out of it for a long time, and then um, my son was having problems with self-esteem and being bullied, and I was like, well, we there's this Taekwondo class, gym here in, in Glendive. Let's see if it'll help, because it can't hurt. The worst that it'll do is we find out that he can't do um, individual sports, because he's not a very good team sports person either. Um, So we started him down that road, and then um my wife started shortly after that and then I started up after they did. Um and I'm currently on the injured list because of my knee. So for those that don't know, I've had my left knee has dislocated itself four different times. Uh and that is probably the worst pain I've ever felt in my life each time.
0: And so is that something you need surgery for or just stop um, doing that?
1: <laughs> it's one of those things where The doctor doesn't quite understand why my knee is doing what it's doing. Um, I do have a displaced tendon, which is what we're, what he's thinking is causing the majority of the problem. Um, so far the thought was I could just strength train it out. I I could strength train it back and it would be okay. Um, so far that's not done anything other than, you know, make me angry because I want to be in Taekwondo and, or I want to do my martial arts, but, I can't because if I do any sort of a twist on that knee, I know it's gone. Um, I'll be on the floor again. Um, especially after the last dislocation where all I was doing is walking down a dirt path and it went. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm currently on the soon to be surgery list where they're going to relocate that tendon and clean up. Uh, there's a, a growth on my knee that's that's been there since I was young called Sh- it's Schlagers or something like that. I can't remember the exact name of it. But it's where as I grew the tendon when it is attached to your knee or the, the shin bone, every time I started growing the, the tendon would pull up a little bit and so that bone would grow underneath. So I have this bump on my knee where the tendon's attached and the tendon is split over that bump. So it's weak. So the, the thought is they're going to take the bump out and they're going to reconnect the tendon so it's one solid tendon and that should fix up the problem. Hopefully.
0: It sounds unpleasant it yeah, in so many ways.
1: It does, but it's either that or risk walking up the stairs and or walking down the stairs right. and have it go. Um, that's currently my biggest fear because I could just see walking downstairs carrying a computer and have it dump out on me and that that just screams main pro- big problems all over the place so um but yeah i'm 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 really hoping that once once i get the the surgery done and the healing done and the re- tra- you know retraining my knee how to work properly um i'll be able to go back into it cuz i was what th- 3 quarters of the way to my black belt in taekwondo i i mean i was what three belts and i would have been there so I would be in the cool club with my wife and my son, who are now soon to be second degree black belts
0: all right so uh, you let's let's go back a little bit uh you've mentioned the calligraphy the pen thing mm-hmm. uh, a couple of times and and you've uh mentioned the the taekwondo uh what what is the thing that you can't live without uh, family aside the thing that that you you must do.
1: That I must do? Yeah. That would, you know, like, uh, that's my next bullet point. Um, I, I am a notorious meditator. Um, I meditate a lot. Um, I actually have a really bad temper and when I was younger, that's what helped me control my temper and it's it's kind of one of those things that um, it's I, I latched onto it so tightly that now it's pretty much part of my daily routine. Um, I'll take, 15 seconds uh, and just do a deep breathing exercise or something that, you know, if, if I'm feeling wigged out or shaky or jittery or, or say, you know, Mark, you've had these problems where somebody calls you up and it's just such a moronic, stupid, <laughs> idiotic question. And you're just like, how are you, why are you even asking me this? So, you know, those are moments where you can take that, that 13 milliseconds and just Push it out and say that's not my problem. It's not my energy. It's not my anything, and just let it go. That can be considered meditation. So, but I do it, you know, five, six times a day. I'll just take a second. I'll pull myself away from my desk and and look out the window and just let it go, because otherwise I would be that angry geek who just doesn't know how to talk to people.
0: Nick, your company's computer guy. Move. <laughs> um, so, uh. We're we're not talking sitting knees crossed, fingertips touched, saying Om. Well, meditation.
1: Yeah, well, at, at home I am. You know, that's what I do it at home because then I have, um, I, I have a, I, oh, it's not. I guess you can call it a shrine, but it's not quite a shrine. It's it's a a candle in a spot where I have it setting aside, and it's just my little spot to when I need a couple of minutes, I go to that spot and light the candle and. That's my, f- cause you have, usually most, not most, but some meditation practices actually tell you to focus on something. Right. You know, the, the word om, you know, that you see in the movies where their, their fingertips are on their knees and they're going om. That's focusing on the breath and the movement of the air in the sound of that, of that phrase. Um, other f- meditation types are, you know, a, a light or the scent of a candle, um, there's lots of different ways to do it. The one that always worked best with me is a candle. So that's what I still do today.
0: And how did you get into that?
1: The, that reaches back to um, when I was younger, and I had the, uh, like I said, I had a temper. Um, anger management was kind of one of those things that they always talked about. Um, I never played well with others, so I would, I would, you know, be the the big bully in some sometimes, or I would be the the passive-aggressive bully type thing, um, and I would have to, you know, have a timeout, and they would send me away. And finally, one of the one of my teachers said, "Here, take a look at this and see if this could help. When you get upset or angry, take a second and, and think of one of these things in this book." And he handed me a book, and I devoured the book, and it's been that way ever since. Um, okay you know that between meditation and reading i would probably i couldn't live with either one um if if i didn't have a book to read or a quiet place to or it doesn't have to be even be quiet but a place for me to be away from everybody to recharge um i would probably implode
0: so tell me about your reading habits uh, when when do you read what do you read how often do you read
1: um well before this current shift in jobs i would read every night um it would be Um, before my son was born I would pick a book up and just kind of flip through it and read Um, after my son was born when he was sitting in my lap I would be reading a book out loud to him so I was you know that was always something that I did with him it it got to the point where he was starting to read um, the Tolkien books with me when he was in second grade so I kind of I have a little bit of pride when I can say that my son started reading Tolkien when he was in second grade. Um, but I read all the time um if if it's anything like uh, you know how they say people have a hard time reading on a screen, you know the long form text on a, a right. blog post or whatever it doesn't bother me i've I'll sit down and read a an article and just like I said about when we're you're talking about movies before. I'll read it once, and then I'll with an open mind, and then I'll go back and reread the article, and try and find points that I can either agree with or disagree with, or does the the writer have clout in that in that sit whatever they're talking about? I, I kind of pick apart things after the fact, um, which leads to the my the next thought I had on the list where i I like to tinker, so but I do that with books and movies, so. Uh, I I don't I'm not the the film connoisseur like you are, Mark, where you're looking at the cinematography, the sound score, or anything else. But I look at it. Does it follow a plot? Does it does it match the way it's been laid out? Um. So I I'll rewatch movies, and and me and my little brother will tear them apart, and it's kind of fun to see, or we'll pick out when they flub, uh, like when the cigarette is burnt to a certain point, and then the next scene is full, and then we'll yeah that we, we that's fun
0: <laughs> just just last night watching an episode of daredevil uh, a character drains his whiskey glass then they switch to another person they come back and he's drinking the whiskey without having ever poured anything else and i don't look for those things but i see it and my wife has learned that I should—I have learned that I should never point them out to my wife. I used to say, look, he just did that. Now she's just, just I keep it to myself because <laughs> it ruins it for her.
1: Right. That's why I have my little brother because we'll sit down and, you know, it's a movie that we've torn apart on our own, and then we'll sit down and watch it together, and my wife will be like, I can't even watch a movie with you two. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's fun.
0: So you have a driving need to understand how things work is i what do you're saying.
1: i do um you know even from a very very young age i would tear something apart just to try and figure it out um then it's it's kind of grown into this new need where not only do i need to know how to figure it out and how it works i need to make it work the ways that i want it to work so,
0: so that that was the thing I was going to ask. So, has this need to to understand to disassemble and internalize uh, have you has that ever been turned around into now you're creating uh, rather than disassembling? Is 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 there a creative uh, bent in you as well? And what do you create? If so,
1: um, well, when I was in school, it would have been I would say yes with my music because I was playing a saxophone for well, let's see, I played sax for seven eight almost eight years. So, um, I would make music with, you know, playing saxophone, which is a very similar to anything else where that you tear it apart or, or you can, you know, music is music. It doesn't change terribly much between one person to another. Um, it's just how you understand it. So, um, it was then that I was doing creation, but it was never large scale creation. It was only just the stuff I was working on. So I would be doing jazz music and do a jazz solo in the middle of something in the right key and yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of things there, but, um, lately it's grown into the fact where I've gone, um, and this is kind of fed my need from the last, my last job into the current job where I want to know how the programs work or scripts work or why does this thing do the thing that it's doing and why is it not doing what I want it to do? And so now I, it's, it's kind of, blossomed into this new thing where I'm going to start learning how to program because there's things I want well I guess program in in the novels that I want to write to hopefully maybe go down a new route or route road
0: So what kind of novel do you want to write
1: Um I'm going to start probably in the fantasy realm because I'm big into that with my D&D campaigns and all the other different you know adventure uh, you know, on the fly creation like that, it'd be something similar at least the first time. So I get my feet wet. And then, um, I don't know. I've, I've, always, it's probably always be fiction. Um, I'm not a very good f- fact writer. So, uh, it would probably always be fiction. Probably swords and sl- the swords and sl- spells and maybe even some cyberpunk typey things. But, uh, that's where I'm currently looking at.
0: I know this may surprise some of our audience, but I've never played Dungeons and Dragons. In fact, I've never seen the game. Uh, I've never seen a board or pieces outside of television or movies. But from what I understand, uh, there is a a great deal of creative element among one particular person, which is the dungeon master who's writing Mm the game uh, and essentially telling the story that is what i I know from you from this show that's something that you do you're essentially writing that as you go right
1: right um well a lot of times you know depending on the the skill of the the creator the dungeon master or game master you'll end up with um a very straightforward movie-esque type you know this happens this happens this happens that happens game over you know end of that that scene or that that campaign mm-hmm. um when i go down to design something for my players or even if it's just for my kid when we are doing little things there there there's always choice and you know you could force people into doing a certain thing but it's better to make them choose the, what the path you want them to go but then you also have to be ready in case they do something off the ball off the wall, like um in in a dungeon and uh, well, we'll go down a dungeon and dragon's realm for a minute. Um, there's magical items that if they're broken, the their their magical energy is like an explosion. Well, there's things that can happen where stuff like that breaks on purpose or on accident, and then what happens to the world because of it. Uh, um, I've actually gotten to the point where I've, I've designed a whole world or realm, so to speak of, for my people to play in instead of taking, taking out of the box, the, the cookie cutter adventure. Um, they can play in a world that if they do something, it actually holds merit. And I keep a notebook with all of the things that have ever happened in that realm. And it, the next game will have all that stuff still happen. So it, it's basically I've had this giant long run novel in my head with fifty different people that have been major characters. So it's it's a very on the fly type storytelling. Is how I how I tell people I'm I'm a storyteller. It's not a dungeon master. I'm telling a story. The players are just steering it.
0: So do you enjoy playing the game as much as you enjoy orchestrating the game? Yes. Which do you, Which would you say you do more of often? Uh,
1: currently, I'm doing more creation. Um, the problem, though, is because I try to flush out and f- do as much what-if thought thinking. Um, it takes a long time for each session for me to play, so people get bored with waiting for me. So we have other people that are playing. But uh, I have a lot of fun on either end um, because on the game master side i control the world and i can control how things happen and how they don't but as the player kind of like how i would hijack your guys's conversation in the type what text shows i do the same thing as a player and throw off the wall things at the dungeon master that he now has to deal with because i said something totally weird and strange and uh, he never thought of it, and it makes the the dungeon master that never thinks that way, it, they have to prepare for me because I will, on a whim, derail a, derail a complete campaign just because I went, but I want to go over there. And over there, there's, you know, there's dungeons and dragons and then, or there's, you know, I like to go off the map where the, the sea creatures and the monsters live. Just because it's, I want to see what happens. You well, know, what I
0: hear is you saying is that you enjoy destroying as much as you enjoy creating.
1: <laughs> yes, challenging. I like to challenge people. Can, can I get away with saying that?
0: You you can say whatever you want. It's your show. <laughs> um, is that something? So, are you still active in the D and D thing? Uh, did it start oh, yeah. at an early age and has it continued?
1: No, it actually. Um, it didn't start at an early age. It probably would have, um, but it was one of those things that in my small town, it was kind of taboo. And then there's some personal things that, that happened and I don't really want to go into them. But uh, I never really played until I got to college and then started playing with a couple of guys in, in college. Um, came back to Glendive and there's a couple of guys that I knew that played here and I kept playing with them. And it just kind of... It was an outlet. It was an instant creativity outlet for me. And it was like, this is great. <laughs>
0: Do you play online as well as in person?
1: Um, we've tried, I've tried playing online. It's just not the same because there's not, there's no freedom of choices. You, you're constrained to the thinking of whoever created the game. You know, so like if, um, Wiz- the current owners of the Dungeons and Dragons franchise is Wizards of the Coast. Um, uh, at least the last time I looked, they've put out a couple of game creation engines where you can create a game in their system, but it doesn't allow for very uh, uh, the wide variety of choices that can come up. You know, because if if somebody in let's say you're in a tavern, you know, there's a billion things that can happen in there. And the, the game creation software doesn't allow for those monster amount of variables. You're, you're pretty constrained to about eight to 12 usually. And we've tried playing like over Skype even or Google Hangouts. Um, we haven't tried a Google Hangouts, but we've tried playing over Skype and it, it loses something. Wow. Um, I, and it's just maybe the fact that you're, you can't just sit next to somebody and poke them and say, we need to do this. You know, there's also eliminates the, like, there's a, there, there can be a secret system going on where the players can be conspiring against each other, but because, you know, say player, say Johnny wants to steal Jake's magic item, well, he can't do it out in the open because then it's everybody knows, but he can hand the DM a note and then, hey, there's something happening. He rolls to see if he can do it, and it happens. Now he has the magical item, and Jake doesn't. Which could... Okay. You know, it, the, the, that just gives you an idea of things you want you know, that can be done that you just can't do in a computer setting. Which, if anybody is an RPG player that plays Skyrim or any of that other stuff, that stuff is kiddie pool compared to some of the things I've seen that some of the a really good game master can do in a Dungeons & Dragons game.
0: But those are things you enjoy too, right? The, the online gameplay as well of of role play games what what is your what is your online game you 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 talk about steam all the time you've built a whole computer for it what do you play <laughs> online when you play
1: uh that that's pretty much wide as as much choices there as, as i can possibly get um i have you know there's some strat- there's some uh strategy games there's some like uh what is that one the uh I can't remember the name of it now the it's goo what is that the those physics of goo? game yeah where you're doing the physics mm-hmm. I have those type of games I have tower defense games I have uh, first-person shooters like Borderlands and the zombie shooters like uh, you know left for dead um, and I, there's some adventure games I, I I'm all over the board when it comes to video games um, I don't spend the time like I used to because obviously family and job and everything else but um, it, it's all I look at it as, as it's all fuel for my campaigns for the games you know so when I after I get done playing like uh, what was the last one I was playing the, that fed into one of the actual role playing games um, there was a one of the, the campaign or the the challenges in one of the Borderlands games I ended up doing something similar for my, it fed into my Dungeons and Dragons game that I had two weeks later, where they had a similar task. Obviously, it wasn't with guns and shooting up of things, but the similar, the thought process was the same, where they had to do something with, uh, they had, what was it? They had to, they had to free some people in a time limit because otherwise they're going to be, um, sacrificed to a fire god. Which in Borderlands is a very—that's one of one of anybody who's played the the new version, the Borderlands Two, that you get a pretty cool weapon at the end of that that little mission. So it was very similar to what I had my people do in the campaign, but it's it's also a a normal trope in any fantasy realm where you know go stop those people from being sacrificed. But it was um, I described the campaign, the the area that they were in. And it looked, I made it look like a Borderlands scene. And the couple of the players was, they, they finished the, the round and they were, we're done with the scene and we're, you know, wrapping up for the night. And they go, Did you pick that out of Borderlands? And I go, Well, a little bit. (laughs) Because it was cool. Yeah. Well, it was, it was a, the, the, the visuals of that part of the game were really cool. I really liked it. So it was like, Well, I'm going to integrate that into what I'm going to do. And, so I, I took something from somebody else, twisted it a little bit and added my own spin and then put it out for everyone else to see.
0: So you created a mod.
1: Basically. <laughs> it was kind of a quick one um, because they went down a path that I wasn't ready for. And so I, on the fly went, okay, let's go. <laughs> uh,
0: what's your story with Linux? I mean, this is a show with Linux in the title, so we should talk <laughs> about that a little bit.
1: Okay. Um, Linux was one of those things that I did out of necessity, actually. Um, I ended up with an old computer um, just after, let's see, just after I started with the school. I ended up with a one of their old machines that I wanted to borrow or th- that they could not never get Windows to run on properly. And it just was blue screening and no matter what we changed, no matter what we did, it couldn't work. And I was like, well, let me take it home and play with it for a couple of days over a weekend or something. Let me see if I could figure something else out. So, well, I guess that's the second story of Linux, but anyway, I'll finish that one. So I took it home and I put, um, it was like Fedora 2 on it and it worked out of the box. No problems, no screening, no, no crashing, no nothing. And so it was, which, gave me a point to say that well obviously whatever the drivers are that are loading up into the windows install are causing some sort of leak and crashing this machine where the linux machine isn't the linux isn't doing it isn't this doesn't have the leak and i would dig through log files and trying to figure it out and i proved it and we ended up not using that model of machines at school because of this weird crashy problem that was there um, but my very first experience to Linux was, oh man, it was like two thousand and two thousand ish, somewhere around there, and just after my son was born, um, I built a new rig, and I was playing with a pro- a program called Waste, and they said they had a Linux version of Waste, and I'm like, well, let me look at this Linux thing. So we went down to uh, the Billings Borders and bought I, I bought a copy of Seuss Linux back in 2001 and installed it and went, wow, this is totally not what I'm ready for <laughs> <laughs> and ran away from it because there was a lot of compiling that I had to do. And I'm like, man, I'm not, this is outside of my, my comfort zone, but it, it sparked that, that desire to know how it worked. I wanted to know how this thing worked because I've had windows figured out and I, I, it was like but why why yeah it was that that why question that ran in my head and i just couldn't get rid of it and i've been there ever since i've been you know running it on just at, at, no matter what it, there's a, at least one linux machine in my house at all times
0: why why linux
1: because i still don't understand it all the way um if i ever get to the point where i totally understand how the system is Maybe I, maybe I'll be bored with it, but every time I think I get something, somebody changes. You know the one of the the fundamental blocks of how it went, how Linux machine boots. You know when we just went to um, system D, it's a totally different system. It works basically the same, and it functions basically the same as as, every, as what we had pre- previously, but it works a little different and there's a little bit of differences here and there so it's it's now learning the differences and it, it changes something and now it's all right now i got to dig through and figure out what that is now so, so that
0: they, that need to understand yeah drives you to keep k- keep doing it uh, it
1: it it drives me to do just about everything um i am very much when i get to the old you know super long beard white beard white hair you know I want to be that sage type person that when when the world ends, they come to me and say, "Oh, wise one, how is this done?" And I can go, "Well, I did that back when I was 15. And blah, blah, blah. that that that's where I'll be when I'm, you know, ninety or whatever, and I'm, you know, old and senile. People want to lock me to a home.
0: <laughs> what are your uh, goals going for? So this is the story of Chris Up to, to now. What, what is Chris going to be in twenty years? Uh, before you get to the the long white beard, uh, what are your <laughs> goals? Like, uh, let, f- let's go professional first. What do you What do you want to be when you grow up?
1: What do I want to be when I grow up? Um, if you would ask me this seven months ago, before I started my new job, I would have said I want to be, you know, I, that, I still had my home business. My original thought was uh, I wanted to be a major computer repair shop player in the area that I'm in um, I had made some pathways to make it happen and I was thinking you know to be able to say for the people in Montana North Dakota South Dakota and Wyoming to say if they even need a computer problem fixed they call the guys that reboot it that's what I wanted and that would have took 15 years to get to where I wanted it to be um, and I had everything lined out and, you know, spreadsheeted and, and graphed out. And I had everything, laying, you know, perfectly laid out. Um, but then the world changed on me and things, you know, you don't take it to your computer to repair shop anymore. You just buy a new one. Pretty so much. that that pretty much shot my, my long-term dream in the foot. And so I adjusted. And, and now I'm working for, I don't think I'll get in trouble for saying it, but I work for XTO Energy, which is, um, the growth engine for Exxon Mobil. Um, we do all of the, all of the work for Exxon up here in the, in the Bakken area. Um, it would be really cool to stay with Exxon. They've surprisingly treated me better than I've ever been treated in any other job. Um, I would love to be in senior IT management at this point, um, pulling the big strings to make, you know, the big decisions happen. Um, but if that doesn't work, I'll twist and rotate again and find a new – I'll pivot and go another way. I'm not above changing direction. It's just I like to have a little more firm footing when I change. But if things get rocky, I'm not above, you know, finding a way to do something different.
0: Are you happier being a general or a private?
1: That depends. Um <laughs> I wouldn't mind being, I I would like to be the general that is also the private, you know. I don't have a problem giving direction and I understand goal settings and everything else. But then there's times where I just want to put my head down and just trudge through the trenches and make things happen, you know, be the guy on the front line. But there's a part of me that that desire to know forces me to say, but if I know the trenches, that's fine but that doesn't tell me how the big guy thinks back in the sh- the big chair so that desire to know pushes me back that way to know that way too
0: do you think of yourself as a leader
1: I I think so um, I don't have a problem leading um, but I also don't see myself as a good leader at this point Um. Just for the simple fact that I haven't experienced—I don't think I've experienced enough to be a good leader. Um, leadership is one of those things that's—it's grown, not bred, not born. Uh, a good leader should be one that has experienced enough things to be able to say, "That is this thing. We need to not do that because it'll do this." You know, the the experience role should be there before um, the. The experience should be there before, or the the life should be there before they move up to a, a management type role, because otherwise they haven't been in the trenches enough to know the back end. So
0: you don't want to be the the lieutenant who's fresh out of college and, and sent to lead the platoon off. You don't want to be the grizzled old sergeant who's right. been in the field for fifty years.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that's the more the idea of where I am. Um, I don't. I'm old and crotchety already, so it's just going to get worse <laughs> as I get older. <laughs>
0: As I as I end every interview, uh, what what have I left out? If if you had one message that you wanted somebody to hear above anything else, uh, when they listen to this, if they only listen to the next five minutes, what do you want them to know about Chris?
1: To know about me, and I'm going to say to know about me and to uh, something to definitely learn. Um, I am a very open person, and I love talking to people and I love experiencing things, but know when to stop. So that also leads to my next point. Um, Be a storyteller. Learn how to be a storyteller because you never know when you have to be up in front of somebody or a group of people or even your kids and need to tell a story.
0: All right. Um, In a action (laughs) items. To, so you that that was a bit of life advice learn to be a storyteller. What yeah. do you wish everybody listening to this would go do right now
1: to go do right now
0: yeah, or you know to start the process of doing?
1: I would say I think everybody should experience a good D&D game okay not 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 a bad you know the the and that could be the only way I can rationalize that is. By saying, you know, there, there are those D D leaders or, you know, the dungeon masters that when you're done with the game, it's like after you watched a good movie, you know, you, you're like, Oh my God, where'd those three hours go of my life? Cause I was so, ins- I was sucked into the show. I have been in, in the realm of a good dungeon master where I didn't realize that almost 12 hours had passed. Because the story was so engaging that it was just, you know, it was like you were living a novel right there in your living room. Um, it was like eight, 8 to 12 hours that we gave that one time. Didn't even realize that it was, you know, we, we started, it was lunchtime and we finished and it was like time for the bars to close. It was, it was insane. It was crazy. Um, you Everybody should experience that at least once.
0: Awesome. All right, uh, that's that's the end of the interview. Unless you've got something that I didn't that I neglected to ask you.
1: No, I, I think that covered everything. Um, that
0: was fun. I, yeah. I now know more about Chris than I did.
1: Um, did anything like surprise said, you?
0: Um, no, I don't think anything surprised me. <laughs> uh, the meditation thing was, you know, unexpected. But it yeah. doesn't. It, it's not contrary to what I know of you. So surprising would be something that is outside of of what I would what I know of you. But yeah, the, everything you've said seems to be internally consistent.
1: <laughs> well, at least I'm consistent.
0: All right. So this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can ask questions uh, about Chris or about me or about Linux or about whatever you want to do or just uh, let us know what you think of. Ultron or anything else, Uh, elementop.com, that's our home base. Uh, Back when I thought I was going to be doing lots of shows for the rest of my life, I needed a a home base to put them all, and now I just do the one show. Uh, But anyway, elementop.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. Let us know what you think. And by the way, if you are a web developer uh, or know a web developer who's willing to work super cheap, like cag of beer cheap <laughs> I, I, i'm I really want to move away from the crappy old website I built in two thousand and ten uh but i don't I, I i don't i don't have the i have the skills I don't have the time uh, and i so I want somebody who will who will help me redesign the element OP website but anyway you wanna, uh, if you want to volunteer for that or anything else, com. click the Contact Us button. If you, like our um, anonymous caller today, uh, want to have your voice on the air. By the way, mention your name when you call. Uh, uh, you can do that, 559 am op is our Google voice number, uh, or you can just send me a file if you want. Uh, nobody's taking me up on that. Well, I take it back. One person took me up on that and sent me like a 13-minute audio uh, file. Um, don't do that. <laughs> Keep it under <laughs> three minutes uh but i would uh i we love to hear from you uh i hope you've enjoyed this departure from you know there wasn't there wasn't news it was it was just uh it was just all about uh you know a man that i've that i call a friend and i hope you do too I, my hope is that as you've listened to this show for you know 191 episodes you feel that we are your friends i want you to feel that i want i, I want you to think that and so that i thought it would be good to to get to know one of our friends so let us know what you think. Thanks for uh, being a listener, Chris. Thanks for being here. That was uh, that was fun. Thank you for being so open and honest, and yeah. and opening the door to your life. Uh, but not a now, problem. I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux.